seconds flat. Give me up. Look at Bill. Look at Bill. This is the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. He's been broken three times. He refuses to give in. He might do it. Look at that guy. Look at Blake Oh, my God. Hello again, friends, and welcome to Mile 156 of Seconds Flat, presented by the Columbus Running Company. After a surprise reappearance from our friend Benji last week, it's good to welcome back the professor from his summer (laughs) of tanning and leisure. Phil, how are you, my man? I'm glad you appreciate the tan here, Travis. I have been working hard on it this summer. Uh, haven't really been working too hard on on the training, but uh, (laughs) the tan's looking good. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a steamy summer in the Gregory household. Tell us what the living conditions, it's like you have been in the sauna all summer. Oh, you know, some folks go to Flagstaff or Boulder for these high altitude retreats. I have totally embraced the humidity as acclimation protocol and went with an air conditioner that has been broken for the past two months here in South Carolina. Uh, Mm. Thankfully, that's been fixed as of about a week ago. But there's been some uh, challenging weeks down here where the temps have gotten up to the the lovely 90s with some high humidity. So I am fit despite the lack of training that's been going on. Adaptations from living in the heat chamber. You might only be running 20 miles a week. But you are getting fit. What's the hottest it's been inside the house? Oh, so we went on vacation at the beginning of July. Uh, so, of course, nothing's running. I think the house was maybe 85 degrees when oh. we came back in. It yeah, was that, so hot, the walls were sweating. Yeah, it's, that, it was toasty. That is, that's steamy. You need to get like some of those plantation shutters for, for the windows. Oh, we got it all, man. We got the cabinet air units. We got the blackout curtains. We have the attic fan rolling when it's 75 degrees in the morning and 100% humidity to, to cool things down. Uh, <laughs> but no, I'm, I'm looking across the room here and the, the curtains are fluttering with the air conditioning coming out of the vent. So it is it is glorious here. That's fantastic, buddy. It's great to have you back. Hope you enjoyed your summer and the time off and be great to catch up. Tonight. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we, we haven't gotten to talk much, so it'd be good to dive right back into what we enjoy doing most. So, Phil, we got a really good listener question earlier this week that I thought we'd open up with on rotating as shoes, using shoes in consideration of their life their durability, and also their best purposes for us as runners. So uh, a good friend of the show, David, sent us a great question. He mentioned that he has purchased a number of shoes in recent years when they've been on discount. He has a couple of pairs he uses for racing and about a half dozen now, others that he wants to know how to rotate in and out. And he's also Mm -hmm. wondering again about those signs of wear and if they have a shelf life beyond just their running miles, if there's like a time limit on the shoe life. So I'll address those last questions first, Phil, from the running store perspective, and then open it up to you. So I, I have three cues that I use in addition to simply how my body feels when considering the the life and wear in a shoe. First, I'll look for significant creasing in the midsole foam 
on both the lateral and medial sides of the shoe. For me, this tends to appear first on the lateral side as I'm naturally a supinator. So particularly in shoes with more compliant, soft rather than resilient foams, I'll start to ride that outside and I'll notice it start to compress, show more signs of creasing. The second thing next is the, the outsole can be really tricky. Uh, mm-hmm. So what I like to do here is find the area on the tread that is most worn, where that blown rubber maybe has been worn smooth. And just because it's worn smooth doesn't mean that the shoe is worn out. Uh, mm-hmm. But if you find that spot and then press into that, I normally just press my thumb into it. And if it's super soft and it easily bends back on itself, that's a sign that we've started to lose support from the cushion. A flexible shoe will naturally bend up, but not back on itself completely, like snap back and fold over. That's another indicator that a shoe might be dead. The third thing you could go to is a mileage count. Some folks religiously count their mileage. I tend to use mileage as a tool after the shoe has been rotated out, meaning I can then estimate what a future pair of the same shoes or similar shoes will get me. So I'm, I'm not really keeping track of an exact number as I wear a shoe and saying, oh, oh, I just struck 300, 400, 500. It's time mm-hmm. to get rid of it. Some people really notice it at very specific mileage markers on certain shoes. And And you do have features on apps like Astrava that can easily do that for you. They've made your life a little easier on the the mileage count. But what I like to do on a mileage count is afterward, after the shoe's out of the rotation, if I tally that a shoe got me, say, 450 miles, then I have a guide for the lifetime and value of that pair and another pair of those in the future. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, So those are a few basics. One, How does my body feel in the shoe? Because often our body is telling us. Next, creasing in the midsole, finding those soft spots on the bottom of the shoe uh, on the outsole and pressing into those, and then potentially a mileage count, which again, for me is more reflective than it is a number where I just say, ah, it's time to get rid of this shoe. Phil, anything you want to add there? Well, let me ask you this, because as as we're shifting to like these super foams and different materials, I'd always operated under the assumption that, you know, a standard EVA shoe for each year of its life was worth about 100 miles on the phone. And I, that's probably there's a little bit of myth to that number, I'm sure. But in terms of like, I look at my shoe shelf and have a couple pairs that are probably a year and a half old that don't have a ton of miles on them, but that they're just older. From a, just a time perspective, do you have any thoughts on that end of things? Yeah, I was going to come back to it in my answer to my current shoe rotation, but I I like it. Mm -hmm. The number that you used of how it affects the EVA just sitting in the box, those those style foams. I think with the quality of foams and technology today, a shoe can sit in the box or be used infrequently and last well for much longer than it used to. I think you can get a shoe on sale and several years down the road still be using it. It's not as big of a risk to buy a sale model from last year or the year before as maybe it was a decade ago. That that assumes it's been stored in appropriate conditions. 
after you purchase it, you can control that. Before you purchase it, that's out of your control. But in our most running shoe store situations, that's nothing to worry about. That simply means it's not in super hot conditions. Like the trunk of a car <laughs> is going to kill the life of a shoe in, in oh, the you've summer. Been known to do that. <laughs> yeah. I got, I have often have a whole collection back there, but not in the summer in the hottest parts of the country. Or if it's stored in damp conditions for a really long time, I, I think you're asking for potential issues. So I, I have an example when I get to my shoe rotation of one that I'm still using that's from several years ago. I, I don't have a number specifically, Phil, but I do believe the advancements in shoe technology make us more able to let a shoe sit longer and still be useful. But like most things in our life, Tools that are meant to be used tend to do their purpose better when they are at least occasionally used, right? Uh -huh. Don't just sit around. So absolutely, I think, that, I, I think there's a cap to my my comment. Yeah, um, yeah. And from from my end, I, I like this question just from the variety perspective as it relates to like dealing clinical clinically with runners. You know, because a lot of times you'll see folks that you know may only just train in one pair of shoes, or that they will run shoes into the ground. And I think. At least what we can say from an injury prevention perspective, one factor that where shoes do make a difference is to simply rotate them. And it doesn't necessarily, we can talk about our shoe rotations in a moment, but you know, it doesn't even necessarily matter that you're rotating between different shoes. Just rotating between models of the same shoe can make a difference in terms of injury, injury reduction. The other end, I, I think is to kind of understand what style of runner you are. You talked about mileage and I agree that you know, I don't think there's really a hard cap in terms of, you know, 300 miles, you need to ditch shoes, but you know, somebody that's a uh, lighter on their feet, maybe a little bit lighter body weight can get a whole lot more miles out of somebody that may run a little bit heavier or be a little bit heavier themselves just with how they, how that foam gets degraded over time with, with the impact. And as well, like you said, just kind of knowing your injury trends when you start to feel the little aches and niggles as the shoes get some age to them and understanding that, okay, I've had these shoes for 300 miles, 400 miles, my ankle's starting to get a little bit cranky, maybe it's time to try something new. Yeah, great points, Phil. I'll add two things to that. One is you mentioned rotating multiple shoes, having some data behind that being a healthy decision as a runner. My preference would be to rotate different shoes, yeah. but, but you're right. There is some value even to just rotating two pairs of the same shoe, but I just like the, the subtle differences between shoes and how that makes my foot and lower leg work. And, yeah. and it also adds to what might be the simplest answer to how I rotate my shoes is what's the thing when I'm getting ready to run that day that really excites me to put on? And having different shoes allows you to answer that question for the day that you're in. Um, uh -huh. The second piece is your preferences and your running style should guide your shoe selection to a point. So you referenced you know, someone who's light on their feet versus maybe somebody who's more of a, as they would say, it races in the Clydesdale category. Mm -hmm. Let's just take a, a random brand X, we'll say Hoka. Those two runners, uh, if I were to throw out, say, the Mach and the Bondi, mm -hmm. that Clydesdale runner is going to get much better life out of a Bondi than he or she will out of a Mach because uh, 
that mock is going to wear incredibly quickly for the, for a, a runner who maybe has a heavier strike. I'll use an example myself. I really like the the Cloud Surfer, new model from On. Nice yep. soft shoe, wide fit, uh, in particular in comparison to other On models. They took the speed board out of it, so it's really, really soft. Ah, so they softened and, it up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And but what I notice as a supinator is this has become a shoe that I will wear at work. I'll walk around in casually. I fear that in running, I might crush it a little bit on the outside edges because it's so mm -hmm. soft and start to wear unevenly. So that's something to be aware of when you're picking shoes for your rotation. So to that point, Phil. When crafting a rotation, what are the shoes you're wearing now and what are their purposes for you? Sure. Well, to me, it comes down to your point of what's the purpose of the run today and what am I excited to have on for that? Looking at my shelf, I, I break things down in terms of workout and race day shoes, which from a race perspective, I have a pair of the Nike Next Percents that you know they come out purely for race day, maybe for a workout or a long run or two, like right before a race. But for the most part, I don't, they don't see a ton of miles. But in that same category is the Saucony Endorphin Speed 3, which uh, is, they classify it as kind of an up-tempo trainer. Uh, but for me, it really works perfect for those faster-paced workouts, whether that's intervals or, or threshold work or tempo or what have you. So that's the one that comes out on the on the workout days. And as well, I like that on the long run days because uh, it has that nylon plate in it. It has their super foam. So to me, those longer runs, I feel you know not quite as beat up on those days using that shoe. So it's kind of a that's a shoe that's really pretty versatile. But for me, it's kind of this is the time to get down to work shoe. Conversely, I like having a shoe that fits in the category of just easy cushion cruiser where I want to head out the door for, you know, some recovery miles, something that's going to be pretty slow where I just want to get out the door and get moving a little bit. I might not be feeling good, but it will give me a little bit extra cushion. The first one that's always worked well for me is the Hoka Clifton, uh, just because it has that pretty aggressive forefoot rocker. It's really nice and cushioned. Uh, so on those days when my Achilles may be a little bit cranky or my feet are a little bit sore, that rocker just kind of does the work for me. And the other one that's I put it almost in several different categories, but that I do like for the easy day, I'll use it for long runs as well sometimes, is the Super Blast by Asics, which is just a, it's a very lightweight shoe. So it can have a ton of versatility to it, but it, it is very, very cushioned. And as well, that cushion stays pretty resilient into longer runs as well. Uh, whereas a traditional daily trainer Feels like it gets packed down towards the end of a run. This shoe still has a little bit of a little bit of bounce to it. And then the the last category is one I treat almost like an experimental category of what am I curious to try? What you know, do I think I like, but I'm not sure about? And almost like a daily workhorse category. And in that right now is the the Asics Nova Blast Three, which is you know, really just a solid. You know, I call it a democratic shoe, and that it works pretty well for everybody. It's relatively light, it's relatively cushioned, relatively stable. So it, it takes a lot of boxes. You know, I was telling you, I went on vacation back at the beginning of August. That was the only shoe that I took. It's pretty versatile as well. But in short, I kind of break the categories into 
something to go a little bit faster, something to push the pace, you know, something to go slow and to help you recover. And it's a little more cushioned. And it's something that kind of sits in a, like a daily workhorse category where, you know, it, it may be able to bridge between categories, but you know, it's pretty reliable. Yeah. For me, Phil, I'm mostly using uh, the two ASICs options that you mentioned, the Super Blast and the, and the Nova Blast for my daily training. Those are really both Swiss army knife shoes, in my opinion. They, yeah. they almost fit each of the boxes that you just laid out. And so if you wanted to build a shoe rotation with basics and just have a couple pairs and not invest as much money and just have for a, a injury risk reduction perspective, some, some alternation, those two could probably do almost anything. Yeah. Right now, I supplement those with the occasional use of the uh, Cloud Monster from On. That's their beefier, neutral trainer. Part of what I like in all three of those you referenced is those are pretty resilient foams. Mm -hmm. And they tend to have stable rides as a result. And I've dealt with just a little bit of a heel, Achilles, plantar, niggle over the past couple of months. And it always feels better in shoes that are more stable, probably in part because of the rotation and supination I get, particularly in softer or more or more narrow shoes. Mm -hmm. uh, another one that I'll go to as a lightweight trainer option, some still is the New Balance Rebel. As a sneak peek looking ahead, I've tested some stuff recently that I'm excited about that might change this rotation soon. And we will be talking more about that next week on the next episode when we do some shoe reviews mm -hmm. for track or as you mentioned uh, threshold or hill sessions I'm, I'm typically in the metaspeed sky plus from asics and the reason i've gone with that is it applies that same foam principle with the really stable flight foam turbo in a lighter weight package good width across the toe box i did a bunch of experimenting in the spring i was rotating shoes just for strides at the end of my easy run. And this is not something I would ever normally want to do, change out into another shoe for strides. But I, Interesting. Did, it, I did it just to do hundreds of strides in different shoes. And the thing I found about that Sky Plus was it felt like the shoe that was easiest to get over the plate in a way ah, that works uh -huh. with my stride. The, the mechanics were really comfortable in that. And so it's been most of my... Uh, track work, threshold type work. Then on the long runs, I, I'll actually, I'll bring the Super Blast back out for the long runs as well at mm -hmm. times, especially if it's just cruisy. Or to give another layer of answer to David's original question about the the life of these shoes with the new Super Foams. From my run-in days, I still have pairs of Nike Alpha Flies with very limited mileage on them. And if I'm doing a long run with something up-tempo in it, I like to go to that because it's light and it's just so much cushion to protect the body. As we've said here, I, I like the Super Shoes for longer runs or the biggest workouts to reduce the impact on the body. There's a very real chance that maybe we're just shifting the impacts with these shoes. I don't know that the, enough data is out there. We might be moving away from the traditional impact-based injuries to maybe mm -hmm. we might see more soft tissue stuff, depending on how these are used. But I do feel strongly that if they're sprinkled in, say in like a long run, as an example, and not being used consistently every day. I think there's a place for it to improve our, our training. And, and it might be part of what explains 
the success uh, of marks we're seeing on the road and the track with people who are able to stack more consistent high level training. Yeah. Phil, great conversation there. I appreciate your insight. I love getting the, the clinical perspective. Let's move from that stuff, from, from the hard science, <laughs> maybe, maybe to a, a bit more philosophical and theoretical, uh, our main topic for the night. Okay. And this, this has evolved from a, a series of talks that I've had the pleasure of, of giving and joining into conversations with racing clinics, with adult groups. Uh, I've spoke with a triathlon team, runners of, of all ages and abilities. In time, this has evolved and I've actually put some specific thought behind what I believe are the four guiding questions for our long-term careers as endurance athletes. These are the four questions that we need to be asking ourselves over and over and over again. None of them are about a specific workout. Mm -hmm. these, are, these are principles, these are pillars that if you can answer these well, then you can fill in the pieces around them to create good training. And maybe they'll even help you simplify your training a little bit and not overthink it. And I believe that these four, they build, each builds on the previous in a really important way. So the first one where we begin is to simply ask one, what are my goals? The first time that I heard Joe Vigil speak, it's been a number of years ago now, the legendary Adam State coach, I believe I've mentioned this quote on here before. He said, in just, just in passing, it was almost a throwaway quote, but I wrote it down. It was so beautiful. He said, you don't have to be asleep to dream. And it's so important that we're not afraid to dream big dreams. One of the first questions I ask my adult athletes that I coach is, what is the goal, the thing that is so big that it almost gets scary when you think about it and what it will take to get there? but it drives you to your core. And the important step then in establishing those goals is to understand what differentiates dreams from goals. Goal, mm, yeah. Goals, Phil, require effort and action. They require attention and intention. And you might not reach a goal, but any worthy attempt at one needs a plan and requires execution. Walt Drenth, who has coached Des Linden at times, he's a very successful collegiate coach for a number of years, has said that effort is always worthwhile, even if the outcome isn't predictable. Mm -hmm. We might not reach these goals, but the effort we put into them, that journey as a runner and constantly having goals that we target is certainly worthwhile. When we reflect on our goals, it's important that we write them down We've discussed this in, in a previous episode as well, that we make them tangible and measurable. They don't always have to be time or place-based to be tangible mm -hmm. and, measure, and measurable, excuse me. And then you find a teammate or a training partner who will dream and believe with you. That to me is a significant part of goal setting. As Lopez Lamong says, all it takes is that dream and one person who believes in it to make it real and to start moving it towards being a tangible goal. 
then to me, once we've established goals, that's when we'll go to these next three questions in a moment. You will continually ask yourself these next three important follow-up questions to what are my goals. But Phil, I'd like to give it to you. Floor is open. Maybe you want to discuss particular goals you have or what this process looks like to you. I've been excited to have this discussion since you sent this outline because it really does get at the heart of like why we do this and what we're doing and kind of what we've talked on here about know the reason you're doing what you're doing and to what are my goals. Yeah, I think even it's helpful to go a little bit deeper and understand where those goals are coming from and why you're wanting to achieve them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is something that that's, you know, covering from a, a an internal source of this is an experience I want to have, or this is the person I want to become, or this is the type of lifestyle I want to have, or is it something that's coming from a a coach or a parent or, you know, even your friend group that you should be a X whatever runner and really understanding it is that, you know, a thick goal of like, this is going to lead me to become somebody I want to be. Or a thin goal where as the work gets hard, you know, it's easy to to hit the snooze button or to skip a workout or to just bag it all together. And as well, you mentioned, yes, it's helpful to, you know, have specific markers or times, but understanding that the outcome, at least from my perspective, the outcome is something to to kind of put out there to get excited about. But the day-to-day needs to be driven by the process of Yes, I want to run a 40-minute 10K, you know, but to do that, I need to be training X number of days per week. I need to be doing these type of workouts. I need to be doing this type of mileage, and let's commit to doing that day after day, and the goal being not three months from now, I'm going to run 40 minutes to 10K where it might be raining or I might get a bad start or uh, it might be hot, but okay, over these next three months, I'm going to put in the work day after day because this is what I want to be doing and and I'm going to enjoy this process. So a little bit different tangent in terms of where you're coming from, but I I think understanding where these goals come from can can be very helpful in terms of deepening your commitment to pursuing them. For a long term approach as a distance runner, they better be intrinsic. Yeah, You can't latch on to those external motivators for year after year after year with great success and with great devotion to what it takes to reach those goals. And, and I believe that your response there, Phil, actually lends well to my second question, mm-hmm. uh, which is, what am I doing in this moment to reach those goals? And this is where we go to a lifestyle approach rather than being willing to just turn the alarm off and bag the run for the day as as you were referencing. So what am I doing in this moment to reach those goals I set? So once I have them written down and they're in my journal and they're on my refrigerator and they're in the mirror when I get out of the shower every day and I see them right there driving me, put it another way. When I zoom in to each moment within the day and I think about those goals, will the decision that I'm about to make help me become a champion. Now, Des Linden writes in Choosing to Run, her new autobiography, act as if you are the thing you are trying to become. 
that's such a monumental first step in doing the thing in this moment to reach those goals. Patrick Sang, Elliot Kipchoge's coach, Faith Kipyegan's coach, he puts it quite simply, you are given an opportunity, work hard, is what he tells his athletes. <laughs> you have an incredible opportunity. The, the goals that you're putting out there are largely reachable. I've said here many times that we are our own worst enemies in limiting our abilities to reach our goals. We put ceilings on ourselves that are perhaps artificial, that others might not put on us. Others might mm -hmm. see even greater potential than we see in ourselves. And that's why it's important to have folks to come along in this journey who believe in your dream as well and, and believe in your goals. You're given an opportunity, work hard, Sang says. But also the decision you make in this moment is not just about that training. I would say maybe to shift that quote a little bit for the training portion, work with intention, work with quality for the effort that the day requires, but then also consider things like recovery and sleep. What are you doing in the 22 to 23 hours outside of training each day? Mm -hmm. Now, here's the little secret. Training hard doesn't make you a faster runner. Training hard and then recovering well is what makes you a faster runner. The hard training is breaking you down. It's the adaptation period afterward that makes you a better runner. So answering this question of what am I doing in this moment to reach those goals, to me is like the difference between eating well and going on a diet. You make a decision that helps you become a champion over and over and over again, not just in fits and starts, like a few weeks when you suddenly want to lose weight or January after you make a New Year's resolution. <laughs> what you are doing in this moment, it's a habit. To Phil's point in choosing those goals and, and making that goal, as you said, thick versus thin, it's a way of life. It eventually becomes a question that you rarely have to ask yourself because you keep making the positive decision on this course. But it's still great to reflect on it and make sure, you know, when you get to that big decision, when you have to make a choice of which path do I choose, what's going to help me reach those goals? Now, that does not mean it's 100% of the time you make a decision that's focused on those goals. You have a life to live. There's other things going on. There's other places of joy. There's other goals outside of running. But that's the beauty of these questions. They can translate to other parts of your life, not just being an endurance athlete. Well, and this question, I think, allows us to zoom out a little bit in that, you know, it's the question of, you know, what am I doing today to achieve these goals? But is today setting me up for success tomorrow and for next week and through you know, this training cycle or through the next couple of years. And you know, not so much that what am I doing today and that did I hit the splits that indicate I should be able to run these times, which are associated with my goal, but did I do the work that I was able to do to move the the needle a little bit further? And sometimes that may be to to hit the snooze button and get an extra hour of sleep and take a day off. And you know, sometimes that might be to pull the plug and skip a, a rep or two of your workout. But as well, you know, you're right. The what else did I do that day that helped move me forward? Did I pay a little bit of attention to what I was eating through the day? Did I 
make sure that I was getting to bed at a halfway decent time to absorb the training that I'm doing. So I, I think this question allows us to take a little bit broader view of, of how we're approaching what we're doing. Yeah, train and live where you are so that you can train and be where you want to be. Mm-hmm. Now, make the decision that your future self will thank you for. You do that enough times and you're going to head toward your goals. Third question. Again, I believe that these have gotten more important as we go. What am I doing to help my teammates and or training partners reach our or their goals? A runner who makes the team great is as valuable as a great runner is the most important answer to question three. How you can make people around you better That's so much more than just our goals. Think of the ability we have to impact everyone's goals. Be a servant first to be a leader. Encourage, support, lead by example. You can foster an atmosphere, whether this is, like to go back to Benji last week, a high school cross-country team, or whether it's Phil, me and you, all the times we've been out running. Yeah. That we can make each other better. I can look at my group that trains on Wednesday morning and a couple dozen people there. What an awesome opportunity to encourage and lift one another up. And I really believe in doing so, we actually can help ourselves answer the second question that we already laid out of what am I doing in this moment to get myself better just by serving others. So uh, another way to ask it is, are my actions, are the decisions that I'm making improving the experience of my teammates or training partners? And every one of those actions to go to like the atomic habits school of thought, every one of those actions is a vote for the type of runner and teammate that you want to be. Those votes are going to add up in time and reveal the runner and teammate who you really are. It's just putting money in a bank again and again and again over time, and the interest is compounding so that you can make a big withdrawal when it's time to hit your goals. And I suspect part of why I think this third question is more important than the first two is I suspect you might get as much joy or more in seeing the people that you work hard with reach their goals. And I'm almost certain that if you set a big group goal, that one will be more valuable to you than that goal, which is alone. There are things we can do in groups that simply we cannot alone. And that's the great opportunity in our sport where we we get a chance to do both. We can have both individual and team aspects to our sport. Frankly, regardless of age, you can go out and get in a training group at at any age and find like-minded people who want to help you reach your goals as you help them reach theirs. And I think this question really makes that journey that much deeper and that, you know, if you have a group that you're going on this pursuit with together, number one, it's a whole lot more meaningful when you achieve it because they're going to be there to celebrate with you and you'll be there to celebrate with them. And number two, this just leads more into making it more of a lifestyle and lifelong thing and that you have folks that, yeah, that Wednesday morning and you know, before dawn, you may not want to get out of bed a couple times during the month, but you know that there's a couple dozen folks that are waiting on you because number one, they're pulling for you. They want to work together with you. 
and they need your help to, to achieve their goals. So having a group that can lift you up when you need a little bit extra help really goes a long way in terms of this, this pursuit. Yeah, accountability in, and discipline in the best applications of those words, which I, I do believe funnels into the fourth question. You're doing a heck of a job tonight, Phil. This is who would ever know that this I'm is refreshed. I am ready to go. I'm excited, man. You came out of spring training and your arm is strong and you're ready to throw a hundred plus pitches tonight. I love it. Uh, fourth question, and it will tie into that group accountability. Number four is what am I grateful for in this moment? What aspect of my current situation am I most grateful for and why? That second part of the question is paraphrased from a quote in the training log of Dan Harper, who was a 2020 Olympic marathon trials qualifier, coached by Nate Jenkins, who is a uh, American-based Canova disciple of high mileage with a lot of long quality efforts, alternations, long tempos, big long runs with quality. And Harper took a a year away from his graduate studies to just go all in on making the Olympic trials and marathon. He was putting in enormous volumes up to like 160, 170 miles at times. It actually got dialed back a little bit when Jenkins stepped in, but it was still a big number. He did almost all of his sessions, long runs, easy days alone. And so we often reflected on this question, what aspect of my current situation am I most grateful for and why to keep him motivated and to keep him on track toward what was that original goal of reaching the Olympic trials? What are the decisions I'm making along the way? Incredible discipline that he showed. I want to take this gratitude thought and really dial it in specifically to within the run. Because this question is especially tough, Phil, during the most difficult moments in running, like whether it's in training or in racing. And it's really especially difficult, right? During the most difficult moments in life. Mm -hmm. But it might be most valuable though, to consider this question in those circumstances. Let's ask this way. How do I respond to a moment of truth in training or racing? These are the moments that are so challenging as to leave us uncertain if we can go on. The moments that reveal our deeper running character. So ask yourself, can I attack and master these moments? First in training, Dina Castor in her autobiography suggested these moments when the training just is grueling and you're really questioning why and can I respond to the moment of truth? Her gratitude thought became in the years leading up to her Olympic marathon success. That moment of truth is your body telling you, this is what I need to get better. This is what I crave. And when she reframed it that way, she had such success in continuing to attack those moments. There's always a time when you got to tap out on an occasional workout where it gets to be too much and you don't want to press it beyond the edge and make it a race in a session. But I do like that approach of filtering it through a lens of, hey, this is my body telling me it's what I need. Uh, we, we have discussed, Phil, here before, this idea of training at the edge of the flow state where it's really mm-hmm. difficult, but it's not so difficult that you can't do it. And when you're doing it well, you start to really get in a great mental space. 
in racing, let's build on Dina's perspective and say, maybe it's your body telling you, I'm finding my edge. I'm finding a new limit. And the more I go here, the more I callous my mind and body to this pain. When I reflect on my last year of racing, biggest mistake I made, Phil, and some of this was out of my hands, but I, I could have controlled it a little more, is I, I had one race in a year. It, you know, in between a, a half marathon that went well last summer mm-hmm. and a race this summer, I only raced once. That was our trip to CIM. Yeah. I got sick. I had rough travel. I mean, there was, I don't know that I had put myself into that position there of callousing my mind and body to race specific demands, not just in training to the race, but knowing what the race feels like when you are in it. And it doesn't matter how many times you've raced, you want to stay aware of that. Well, and I don't think it really matters the the distance either. You, mm-hmm. know, you, you still experience that same moment in a 5K that you do in a marathon. It, it happens at a different point and it's a little bit different feeling, but the the self-talk that you have is virtually the same. The moment might be even more difficult during the 5K because of the type of pain. Yeah. The moment might be shorter, but more intense, more acute. It drags out in a marathon. But in both cases, you're right. You can say the more I go through the fire, the more prepared I am. And that's in part why we race. So we are hardened to those negative mental and physical stimuli and ready for those moments when we get to our target races. Hopefully you've trained well enough that you're not stuck in those moments for a long time in your target race, but you're going to face one at some point where it gets really tough to ice that cake. Looking back at question three, the more we go there together with others in both training and racing situations, the more we can push one another and reach goals together that we never could reach alone. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had Matthew Futterman on a a good hundred episodes ago, (laughs) author of Running to the Edge. It's the the Bob Larson biography, uh, the famous coach of of Meb Kofleski. But prior to that at UCLA and before that, coached in a highly successful club team out of San Diego that produced some great American runners. And there's discussion in the book of going to that edge as a group in their long tempo runs and it feeling like we were getting to the end of a hallway and there's a locked door, but we're taking a risk and we're going there with a group. And as we get there, the door unlocks. And we're able to keep going down that hallway and get to the next door. And it's just one more, one more. And then the next time you go out, you might be able to get a little bit farther. And you can't do those long runs and press that tempo every day. But whether it's every week or 10 days or two weeks or whatever your your training cycle looks like, if you go out and do runs with that, like that with a group where it's controlled, but it's at the edge, you might find a new edge and unlock something you can use in a race and in a moment of truth. And the last piece I'll add, Phil, is in the end on race day, stay grateful for that opportunity just to be there and also stay mindful that it it doesn't really matter how you feel once you get to race day. The question is not, do you feel good? The question is, are you ready? And that means, are you ready to handle the demands of the race from the start line? 
Are you ready to handle the moment of truth? And are you ready to stay grateful when this gets really, really difficult? Because we are doing something that we are so blessed to be able to do that so many people would love the opportunity to put themselves in our shoes on race day. This is the time to, to use that opportunity to, to reflect and just enjoy the process and enjoy the journey that you're, that you're going on. That, you know, again, getting back to the first question of what are my goals and, and internal versus external. Yes, your times matter, but what matters more is the experience you had along the way. And when you reach that moment in a race where, where it gets hard and is, but an attitude of gratitude and being grateful for that opportunity and as well for the journey, you know, that really is what I think brings this whole experience in this sport. And at least I know to what the sport means to us. And I think to a lot of our listeners kind of full circle in that, yeah, we want to race fast, but really this is just something that adds so much extra to, to the day to day. Yeah. It's part of what makes this so special. It's part of why I love spending this time with you or Benji and Cosmo, our guests talking about this sport, why I love to listen to the other folks who do great programs to talk about running, why I love to share the miles with, with friends and, and yeah, sometimes listeners of this show. We all have a long-term trajectory. We love moving our bodies through space. It's such a gift. And if you have big hopes for what you can do with this sport, regardless of your age, regardless of your event, regardless of your current paces and distances, continue to ask yourself these four questions. What are my goals? What am I doing in this moment to reach those goals? What am I doing to help my teammates or training partners reach those goals? And what am I grateful for in the moment? And I firmly believe we'll all be more successful, more happy as well on this journey together as runners. We will continue to push each other to be better people as a result of it too, not just as runners. Dr. Phil, it was a pleasure to have you back. We're going to wrap it here. Uh, we got a bunch of shoe reviews that we're going to talk about uh, upcoming. We also have world championships starting next week. So we will get into uh, some both preview and review, depending on exactly when we record, but we're excited for the world champs coming up in Budapest. Before we say goodbye, Phil, is there any one event you're most excited to see in Budapest next week? I'm excited to see Chrissy Gear, Furman, or former Furman uh, runner, ended up graduating Arkansas, but qualified in a very exciting race for the steeplechase. Excited to see her race over there. Yeah, that'll be great. And it's the classic Homer answer that we've come to know and love and expect <laughs> from you. So thank you for that, Phil. That's a good way to finish. Uh, this has been mile 156 of the Second Splat Running Podcast presented by Columbus Running Company, where you're so grateful to have you along for the journey. Enjoy the miles. Keep putting in the summer training, whether that's out on the road or just in the heat chamber like Dr. Phil. And we will see you next time on mile 157. Everybody have a great week.